Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us every week. And I trust that you are being enriched and blessed by the word that we're sharing every week at the same time on this program. Be sure and share with your friends uh, about us if you're enjoying the Word and you think somebody else that would enjoy it. Uh, go also to our uh, YouTube page. Let me just mention very quickly because I'm going to get back into Hebrews 9. This series is getting much bigger than I thought it was going to be, but with television I could take as much time as I want. And so uh, we can really unpack these things. But if you missed any of the programs that we have uh, taught this, or this is like way into our Hebrews teaching, book of Hebrews, you can go to our YouTube page and watch it at your leisure. Everything we have aired to date is there on our website. Now let me uh, just tell you the easiest way to do that is simply by going to lynnhiles.com and when that page opens up there will be a video screen right there of this TV studio. If you tap on that it will begin to take you directly to our YouTube page. Uh, what we'd like you to do, if you want to, you're more than welcome to just share the videos there that are there. If you get a hold of one and you like it and you want to share it with someone on your Facebook page, man, that's just we're just blessed that you would do that. Also, uh, you know, uh, you could tell people about that. And uh, like I said, you could go to our Facebook public profile at Lynn House Ministries and follow us. And uh, you will, uh, of course, be able to see announcements that we make about where we're going to be and meetings we're going to be in. See, we travel all the time, so we're coming to a city near you. And if you'd like to come be in one of our meetings, our full itinerary is mostly posted on our website, but I usually share it on my Facebook public profile page as well. And you can watch us then and, and come and be a part of one of our meetings there. Also, if you cannot watch the video and uh, you don't have time for to sit down and watch the YouTube video, you can go to our iTunes and download our podcast to your smart device and stream it through your car on the way to work or when you're jogging or what have you. And you say, well, I don't have a, an iPhone. Well, we have a feed for the Android device, an, RS feed, an RSS feed also. And you simply go to our website. In the upper right-hand corner, there are icons or pictures of a little Android guy, the iTunes uh, insignias there, the YouTube page, all of that's there as well as a full listing of all of our books, CDs. Our book on Revelation is on there, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Unforced Rhythms of Grace is on the web page. From Law to Grace is there. You'll enjoy all of these books and as, un, until they run out, there's another book called God's Beauty and the Beast that's about to go out of print. You can also sign up for our Message of the Month Club if you'd like to receive a message from us every month uh, that uh, somewhere we preached and somewhere in the world we send out what we feel like is a word that's relevant for that season. All you have to do is sign up for it. It's $7 a month or $70 a year. That becomes part of our partner base. It helps us touch uh, a, a lot of people through television and through our ministry. If you'd like to give more than $7 a month or $70 a year, we welcome that and uh, become a partner with us today. It takes your partnership to do that. We want to get in the Word because I want to try to finish Hebrews 9 in this segment. We, this will be the fifth segment on Hebrews 9. So we're going to read and then we're going to jump down here very quickly. Uh, it said, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service. 
and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the, tab and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once a year, every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost this signifying that the weight of the holiest was of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was the figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertained to conscience. Let me skip down here for a little bit because I want to get really down in this a little bit. Verse number 15 said, And for this cause he is the mediator of a New Testament, that by means of death, for the, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is no strength at all while the first while the testator liveth. We dealt with that in the last segment. We talked about his last will and testament, and somebody died and left you something, but he not only died so you could get what's in the will, he got back up from the dead to be the administrator of his own will to make sure you get what he said you could have. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. Now this is what I want to capitalize on in this segment is from these verses on especially. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, watch this terminology, now once in the end of the world, hath, that's past tense, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now what I really want to capitalize on is verse 26. This is what I want to put some emphasis on today. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now 
once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is my favorite end of the world scripture. Now this is going to help us if you'll stay with me. Now, this might revolutionize and blow your mind, but I think we need to grab this. Once again, here is one of the most, I think, I think this, this translation in King James is probably uh, one of the things that's caused us more misunderstanding is that this Greek word for world is, is a word that is translated world, and immediately we think in terms of global. But if you read this in just about any other translation, it says, but once, let me see if I can get it in another translation. It says, else he, must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, hath he made manifest. Another translation says, once at the consummation of the ages, or once in the end of the age. See, what happens to us when we take this word world, and we don't realize it's the Greek word eon or aeon that has to do with an age. There are several other places in the scripture where this same Greek word is translated world when it's not talking about a global situation, cosmic situation. It's talking about the end of a covenantal age, the end of the age of the law. Now, we started out the book of Hebrews by teaching Hebrews 1.1, God who at sundry times, in times past, in divers manners, spoke to us in, through, and by the prophets, hath, past tense, in these last days, spoke to us by the Son. And what we established in that segment and in other segments is the last days that he was talking about was not the last days of this age. It was the last days of the Jewish age or the Old Covenant age. It was rapidly coming to an end and would be consummated in the destruction of the temple because the way into the most holy place was not yet made while the first tabernacle still stood. At the removing of that tabernacle was the, if you will, iconic removal of God doing away with that sacrificial system of bulls and goats so that they could not. Now Jesus in his finished work at Calvary paid everything that the law, when he cried, it is finished, the law could make no more legal demands on you. But for the next 40 years, there was a transition while the book of Hebrews said it was fading away and then was totally removed at the end of the age, which was in A.D. 70 at the destruction of the temple. Now let me give you several other places where it talks about the end of the world. If Hebrews 9 says, Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. If we're talking about the end of the world somewhere in the distant future, then that tells me that we're still in our sin. In other words, if he has not already done this, it said once in the end of the world, which is again the Greek word age, once in the end of the age, hath he appeared, once in the consummation of the ages, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's when the world of biblical Judaism ended, was that was the end of the world and the end of that age. And Jesus, see, this is where we get confused. Again, Matthew 24, he's standing in front of all of these beautiful buildings of the temple. And Matthew 24, he gives the Olivet Discourse. And he says, do you not see all of these things? Not one stone 
is going to be left on another that will not be thrown down. And he begins to prophesy wars and rumors of wars and tribulation. They'll deliver you up to be killed and there'll be earthquakes and, and uh, you know, all kinds of catastrophes. And then he says, th then they ask him, well, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world, King James says. See, and again, as soon as we see that, Matthew 24, the end of the world, we think in terms of, well, when is there going to be a global collapse? That's not what it's talking about. Again, if you read that in any other translation other than King James, it will say once, when will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The end of the age was not the end of this age. It was the end of that age. And he's pointing to that temple that was standing there that would be removed within a few years of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews being written. And what the destruction of that temple was going to symbolize that everything about this old covenant has now faded away and has now been removed. The way into the most holy place is now accessible, not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through the blood of Jesus, who through the everlasting spirit offered himself to God to bring about a new covenant, a new will, a new testament. I hope I'm making sense to you. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, and he says, everything that happened to the children of Israel under Moses in the 40-year wilderness journey happened to them as examples. Paul writing to the Corinthians says, upon whom the end of the upon whom the ends, plural, of the world had come. Now, once again, that word world is a mistranslation of the Greek word age. And what Paul says there, that once, he said that, he, uh, that, that everything that happened to them, happened to them as example for us. Not us, but the Corinthians. That's the audience relevance. Just like Jesus was talking to them in Matthew 24. He said, do you see these things? He's talking to people standing there. He tells them in that very, in just chapters, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Talking to first century. He said, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, that was one of the signs of His coming. He said, when you see it encompassed with armies, you'll know it's near even at the door. Let him that's in Judea flee to the mountains. When I see people all up in arms about uh, the, oh boy, the end is near, boy, this is happening, and the bad things are happening in the world, and people get this pessimistic attitude, and it's, you know, uh, boy, this is it, and this, you know. I say to them, listen, you don't live in Judea. This was written to people who were living in the first century Judea. He said, let him that's in Judea flee to the mountains. You don't live in Judea. He's talking about something that was going to happen. In Jerusalem, in the first century, to these folks who were the transitional group of people that were the chosen generation and the royal priesthood, that this transition would transpire. They were the people upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages had come. And when I say the ends of the ages, if I had a chalkboard, I would draw a circle. And then I would draw another circle, and I would overlap the first circle and leave a gap right in the middle of it, just a little slither. And I would say this circle represents the Old Covenant age and the Jewish age and the Mosaic Covenant. And this circle represents the New Covenant. So right here in the middle is where the ends, plural, of the ages had merged. 
And in these ends of the ages, there was a 40-year transition period from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D., which was symbolized by the wilderness exodus under Moses. But this time there's another exodus, and they're not coming out of a physical bondage. They're coming out of a spiritual bondage. As a matter of fact, Revelation 11, verse 8 said, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Well, if you study that, our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt, but the Scripture said the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So the Egypt that He was bringing them out of this time was not a physical bondage of Egyptian slavery, but it was, and He, he identifies that, uh, uh, that, that Egypt with where our Lord was crucified, and our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. So what He's talking to them about is, I'm going to bring another exodus, and this exodus is going to come by the blood of a better lamb and a better sacrifice, not of bulls and goats, but you're going to be delivered from the bondage of slavery of Egypt, which is not just sin, but the slavery and servitude of an old covenant paradigm that made servants and slaves out of you instead of sons. Because the transition here is we are moving from slavery to sonship. We are moving from bondage into the promised land called rest in Hebrews 4 that I've already... You've got to connect some dots. I can't get all of it in a 30-minute segment. But the promised land in Hebrews 4 is not a piece of real estate. It's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So when you, they were coming out of that Egypt, and the, it's amazing to me that everything they saw under Moses by type and shadow, Jesus was the substance, and for the next 40 years He was bringing them out of the bondage of law and legalism and into the promised land called Christ and the kingdom. And so the reality of it is, is they saw a, a lamb taken out, under Moses, a physical barnyard lamb. Jesus was the true Lamb of God. John said, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They ate man in the wilderness and they're dead. I've already shared this with you in segments in just in this chapter. But the true bread that came down from heaven was Christ. He is the true bread that came down from... Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. But Jesus said, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. They saw a rock smitten, but Paul tells them in Corinthians 10, that rock was Christ and living water flowed from that rock which was Christ. So everything about the wilderness journey was a picture of this transition out of an old covenant into a new covenant. And now once in the end of the age hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself, and as, is, and, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that the judgment. Now watch this, because that appointment was an appointment that was based on the law of the Mosaic system again. The wages of sin was death. But now, once in the end of the world, hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, the appointment of death under the old covenant, the, the, the wages of sin was death, so Christ... So here's the answer. He says, as, and, and, and as it... I get excited and get stumbling on words. And as it is appointed unto men once to die. Let me say that in context of what I'm saying. And as it is appointed under the law that the penalty of sin is death, so Christ. So the answer to the sin problem was, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for Him, He will appear a second time without sin, without sin, 
he will appear a second time without sin unto salvation. Unto them that wait for him will he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And what we do with this is we make this some future event where Jesus is going to appear a second time. As a matter of fact, this is the only place in the Scripture where it talks about a second coming. And what is being alluded to here is not just his physical return in some distant far off place, but everything about the Scripture is coming from the pattern of the tabernacle of Moses. That on the great day of atonement, a high priest would walk up to that veil with a bowl of blood in one hand and a hyssop in the other, and he would splat that blood, and as he would sprinkle the blood, the veil would open, and he would enter into the most holy place on the one day a year on the day of atonement. He would sprinkle that blood on a blood-sprinkled mercy seat. He would offer incense, and the place would be filled with the cloud of the Shekinah glory of God. While he's in that most holy place on that most sacred of days, offering the offering of atonement, it was called the day of the Lord or the great day of, uh, of God. It was the day of atonement. It was uh, um, the, one of the highest holidays, Yom Kippur. It was one of the most uh, significant times when that high priest would stand in the presence of God. But while he's in beyond the veil offering this blood, better blood. Now this time it's not the, you know, for Christ it was his own blood. Under the old covenant it was the blood of bulls and goats. But while that high priest is behind that veil, sprinkling the blood, offering the, the golden censer that had just filled the place with smoke, a cloud would fill that place. With bated breath, the children of Israel would stand outside that door thing. If he comes back out from behind that veil, and he doesn't die in the presence of God. That means God has put away our sin for another year, and we can go home tonight and lay our head on a pillow and sleep and rest in peace and know that my sin has been dealt with for another year. I can have peace until the next day of atonement would come. Well, I've got some good news for you. This high priest went in beyond the veil with his own blood. He did that once in the end of the age, the end of the world. Not the end of a global situation. It was the end of the Jewish age. He went in with his own blood and sprinkled a blood-sprinkled mercy seat. Now what I want you to see is, with bated breath, they would wait on that high priest to come back out of that most holy place to see if he lives or not. Then God has put away their sin. Let me tell you something. If Jesus went beyond the veil 2,000 years ago and sprinkled his own blood, but has not appeared a second time, we are still in our sin. If we are still waiting on this to occur, then our high priest has been in the most holy place for 2,000 some years and counting on a day of atonement. That means your sin has not been put away. I submit to you that, he, that this second coming that he's talking about here is not his second coming in some future eschatological event. It was him coming back out of the most holy place and appearing to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And I'm going to show you that I think that occurred within the first century. Because one of the things we must realize is that when Jesus stood before Caiaphas, the high priest, he looked at Caiaphas and Caiaphas charged him. He said, are you the son of God or no? And Jesus simply said what God said in Exodus, 
I am. He said, I am. He agreed or identified with the I am. Now, what I want you to see, and then he turns around and says to Caiaphas, and Caiaphas rents his clothes. And he said, what further need have we of anything? This man has blasphemed. And Jesus looks at Caiaphas. And he said to Caiaphas, and from henceforth, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What he was alluding to was he was telling Caiaphas, you're going to see. You're, you're going to see the Son of Man coming. So he's saying that to a first century again, but what he's saying, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. In other words, what you see appear on the mercy seat as a cloud of incense, that's a smoke, I'm offering myself as an incense offering that the cloud of glory is going to fill this place. But you're going to see the Son of Man appearing in the most holy place. And the reason Caiaphas rent his clothes is because he said, if this man is saying he's the high priest, then I'm out of a job. And I submit to you, that's exactly what he's saying is, you're out of a job because I'm the new high priest. And he appeared a second time without sin unto salvation. He came back out of that most holy place. He says in Matthew 16 and in Matthew 10, he said, there are some of you standing here that will not taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Uh, standing here, in other words, he, he says to the, uh, there are some standing here, that first century stuff, folks. Jesus, when he appears, he comes out of the most holy place to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is talking about the salvation being delivered. There's a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, but that's not somewhere out in the distant future. That was the last time of that old covenant age again. And he goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 10, yet a little while and he that will come will come and will not tarry. He says that in Hebrews. He's not tarrying. It's that he will come. And he's a direct quote from the book of Haggai that said, once more I shake not only the heavens, but the heavens and the earth also. And that shaking occurred in the first century and in Hebrews the 12th chapter, God said that everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what remains is a kingdom which shall not be removed. I submit to you Jesus on the day of atonement and interestingly enough, the temple was destroyed during that particular season and during the time of, the, 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 of that uh, day of atonement and for the believers, it was a great day. But for the O's that were not believers, it was a terrible day because he came out in the judgment against Jerusalem, destroyed that temple, and stepped out of that temple into this temple. And Revelation 21 says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. But the message says, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He has made his home with men. God now lives in this temple. He's appearing in the presence of God, in the most holy place for us. I'm telling you, Jesus has appeared. He was the answer, for it is appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment, so Christ was once offered, and His offering was once for all. Hallelujah. And it is complete, and it is done, or we are still in our sin and in old covenant. I've run out of time. If you've got a moment, write to us. Call the number on the screen. Sow a seed into the ministry. It is your generous support that helps us take the gospel around the world. Uh, it, it would be a great blessing to us if you'd put something in the mail today and help us. If you can't go to our website, you can give via credit card or debit card, and uh, we appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you for joining us again this week. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. 
In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.